Welcome to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan Church. Get it, got it, give it. Here in The Sweat Room, we dive into today's questions about sports and faith. Yeah, I think, um, I feel like God is challenging me like he's challenging so many others right now. It, it seems uh, that as Americans, we're caught up in this allure of speed, size, and power. You know, those are all things that make for a physically imposing athlete, but are enemies of our soul. Wow. And now, here's your hosts, Noah and Bjorn. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the 28th episode of The Sweat Room. My name is Noah Corson, alongside my co-host Bjorn Webb. We are so honored and so blessed to have you today with our special guest, Mike Weston. Mike is the chaplain of the Rochester Amherst and Red Wings. The Amherst are the hockey team that are associated with the Buffalo Sabres, and the Red Wings are the baseball team associated with the Minnesota Twins. So cool, amazing conversation today. And if you're new to our podcast, our motto is get it, got it, give it. We're always in every phase of this, always learning, always teaching, and always applying. And what I've absolutely loved about this podcast, guys, is not only being able to have amazing conversation and being able to serve you guys, and if there's any way that we can serve you better or make this podcast better for you guys, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear your feedback. But what's been amazing is we've interviewed guys like Lorenzo Alexander, Reed Ferguson, Dalton Reisner of the Denver Broncos. But what I've absolutely loved, too, is talking to the chaplains of these teams. Len Vandenboss of the Buffalo Bills, who's the chaplain there. Kevin Beers, who's the chaplain of the Buffalo Sabres. Cal Kern, UB chaplain. And then Mike Weston. And it's been great. It's it's We get to talk to professional athletes, to high school coaches, to the chaplains. It's just a reminder that everyone has a story. It's just a different platform, especially in, in our faith. And I'm talking to you as the listener. You have a story. You have a platform. And I really encourage you to use it. So before we dive in, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And if you don't already, get pen and paper out for this. If you're mowing the lawn in the car, I get it. Maybe pull over at some point and get your phone out and write some notes down. Because what Mike says today is amazing. Bjorn and I both were like, wow. That was such a powerful, powerful conversation. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Mike Weston. We want to welcome to the sweat room, Mike Weston. Mike is the executive director of a faith-based nonprofit specializing in medical care and community development within the city of Rochester called His Branches Community Health Center. He combines his love for his city, ministry experience, and interest in sports into his role as chaplain for Rochester's professional sports teams, such as the Rochester Red Wings, the Rochester Amherst, and, and their affiliates with the Minnesota Twins, which is from the Red Wings, and from the Rochester Amherst, they're the affiliate team for the Buffalo Sabres. Mike has been married to his wife, Michelle, for 15 years and together have been they have three elementary age children. That's awesome. Welcome to the sweat room, Mike. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. It's an honor to, to be on the same podcast as Reed Ferguson, Lorenzo Alexander, and Kevin Beers. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, Kevin. You're all in good company now. Um, yeah, so, Mike, I'd like to start off, and, and this, is, this is not – I'm already going off script here as we start. Um, what, what has it been like having three elementary age kids starting school this fall? <laughs> Oh, man, for me, it's been easy. I go to work every day. Uh, <laughs> hey, there it is. 
Yeah, there it is. That's your answer for my yep. wife. <laughs> is your wife saying how's how's your wife dealing with it? Yeah, listen, uh, it's it's certainly a challenge for her. She's an awesome woman with a lot of grit and determination, but she runs like her own art business out of the house, so it's oh, cool. a lot harder. Yeah, to work. Um, the kids go to school for like two days a week, and they're home for three days a week. So you know that automatically cuts more in half uh, the amount of stuff she's able to get done. And listen, we love our kids, but you know there's a reason we send them to school. Uh, so this definitely adds a lot of stress and tension into her. Even though, again, man, some people want to have kids and don't have them. So without saying that our life is miserable, it's certainly had its challenges. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. So quick question: what what kind of art business does your wife do? Like, what kind of art does she? Yeah, so she does hand uh, she does hand lettering. So oh, cool. she does hand lettering and watercolor. So if people have like weddings, if people have uh, businesses, she's done some logos for people. Oh, so cool. she doesn't do graphic design, but she does hand lettering, and people turn those into vector images, and um, we'll use them for logos. Or if someone has uh, a wedding, she'll do signs, and people use them as as designs for their company. So a little wow. a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's super cool. So Mike, um, as we talked earlier, we know that you're you're originally from Missouri. Is that correct? Yeah, so I lived in Missouri for about 16 years of my life, but I was actually born in Bradford, Pennsylvania. So okay, shout out, cool. to, yeah, shout out to the Zippo Lighter Factory. I think hey, that's about the only <laughs> Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so being, you know, in those 16 years, they were early on in your life when you're in Missouri, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, okay, cool. So growing up sort of in Missouri, I mean, you're born in Pennsylvania, but like, how did you sort of become a Buffalo sports fan? Was that from the family or how did you become a Buffalo sports fan? Yeah, I think I'm the only person in my family who's actually a Bills and save. I, I guess my brothers like the Sabres as well, but I, you know, I was born into it. Like every good Buffalo fan, I was born into it. So Amen. Again, born in Bradford. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's a sign of the covenant, sign of the covenant. Um, <laughs> and, and there's still hope for the rest of your family. <laughs> But we're praying for him. We're praying for him to come over. To <laughs> the Bills and the Sabres were like the, the package that were the, the local regional television package when I was a kid. So, like, I couldn't tell you, you know, the players in, you know, 81, 82, 83, when I was first um, living in Bradford and watching some Bills games, even as a little kid. You know, but I can quickly tell you that I watched Bills games a ton. I remember crying my dad and two of my brothers to a Sabres game. I just remember crying like on my front porch because he didn't take me with him. So, oh man, uh, yeah, it was like still scarring. Like last year, I went to a game uh, with Kevin, the chaplain of the Sabers, and, and my son, my eight-year-old son, was like crying that I went to a game without him. And, and my wife was like, "What's his deal?" And I'm like, "Listen, I remember being three-year-old standing on the porch in my family's house, like crying because my dad didn't take me to the game." I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I was, um, uh, "We have a." Um, but it was like, you know, Kelly, right? Jim Kelly gets drafted. And then, you know, Bruce Smith and Thurman Thomas and Steve Tass, Ronnie Reed, like they carried me through like my bills, like elementary years when I would wear my starter pullover. Uh, and then like Alexander McGillney and like Mike Pekka, you know, Matthew Barnaby, Dominic Hatchett, all those guys from the Sabres, like they had a swagger and intensity and it just basically stuck with me that it's never gotten out of my blood. Yeah, absolutely. Some really good playoff years for Buffalo sports during that era. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. You're not lying. So like, obviously so many heartbreaks, but so many just awesome memories. In mm -hmm. fact, you know, I'm such a bills nerd from Missouri. I had a scout leader. I was in the boy scouts. I was an Eagle scout and my scout leader was friends with Jack Kemp. Wow. And one day he was going to a meeting with Jack Kemp, you know, who was, uh, you know, like a state who worked in, you know, the U S Congress, uh, like a Senator for many years. 
And so I had a bill shirt and I sent my bill shirt with my scout leader to have Jack Kemp sign it like when I was 12 years old. So I was such a nerd for the bills and such a politic nerd at the time. And remind, Jack- remind our younger listeners, who's Jack Kemp again? <laughs> Jack Kemp was a Hall of Fame Bills quarterback, right? Like he won our only titles in the city of, in the city of Buffalo, right? So this guy, he is, you know, Josh Allen before Josh Allen will become Josh Allen. I love it. <laughs> what a legend. So you're a chaplain now. So I love for our listeners to know just a little your faith journey and how you came to know Christ. Yeah. So, so kind of like being a Bills fan, I was born into it and I wasn't born into salvation. Um, but from my earliest days, I think one of the very first pictures of me was me at a church. Um, so I've been exposed to the story of Jesus from a really early age. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, uh, my dad wasn't a pastor, but he started a portable church at a Bradford, Pennsylvania YMCA in the early 80s. And some oh, of my cool. earliest memories were dragging chairs um, in and out of this YMCA, like to set up <laughs> for church. Um, so that was like, you know, very early time being in church, being familiar with the story of Jesus. Um, when I was five, I made a profession of faith. And, you know, that's entirely possible for a kid who's five um, to t- accept Jesus as to forgive for their sins. But as I got older, I struggled with knowing whether or not what I did was real. Mm. Um, and so I was active in church. I would invite friends from my school to church. Many of those friends came to faith <laughs> and prayed the sinner's prayer. While for a long time, like every night before I go to bed, I was just like, you know, dear God, if I didn't mean it enough last time, you know, I mean it tonight, forgive me my sins, you know, save me. Um, there was a really strong internal struggle for me for a lot of years throughout elementary school. Mm. Um, and then when I was 13, and I watched a movie that was made in the 70s called Thief in the Night. Uh, you know, for those who are theological, like dispensationalists, you know, the rapture, uh, Jesus takes people out of the world, and then like this intense time of persecution, like that was left behind before left behind was in existence. And so like in this movie, like believers were raptured, the people who didn't believe in Christ were left. And like, man, there was all kinds of intense persecution. And that movie freaked me out so much that like for the next few weeks, like if my parents weren't around and the car was in the driveway, I was looking for, like, I was looking in like the room and like, if I was alone, it terrified me. Yeah. And it really just brought me to the point where like, if I'm that afraid, I don't have Christ living in me. Wow. Um, and so basically I told my mom, Hey mom, I, I don't think what I did when I was five uh, was legit. And so I just that night left a, a class on how to lead other people to Christ. And my mom said, basically, here's your Bible. Um, you know how to do this. And so I walked myself through the Romans road, you know, acknowledged the fact that I was a sinner, admitted that I needed Christ and asked him to save me. Wow. wow. That's I love that. that. That's, that's so cool. Yeah. I love, I love hearing that story. And that, that reminds me of just, you know, so many people's testimonies out there, my, mine and Noah's included, that oftentimes the best way for someone to know Christ is to know someone who knows Christ. And right. you, know, you grew up, you knew Christ through your parents. And you right. got to that point where you're like, but if my parents aren't here, I don't have Christ. And that's what you were like afraid of. And so it's like, okay, so I should know Christ and I should <laughs> remove the this third party right. person from in between that. Uh, and, and I love that because that's, that, that's so good. It's like, you know, if I know, it's like, oh, I have a friend who knows, we'll say, who knows Stefan Diggs. And it's like, I don't know Stefan Diggs. Right, absolutely. But I know a friend who does. So, like, I could maybe communicate to Stefan Diggs through my friend. <laughs> but, like, if that friend removes, it's like, mm, I have no connection there. Right. And so right. I love that, no that you recognize that early and said, all right, like, 
I want to talk to God. Like I want that relationship. I want what my parents have. And that's, man, I, I love that. That's, that's such a good picture of, of, of a testimony, even from an early age. That's so cool. Yeah. And some people have really bad experiences with their parents in church, but that wasn't my situation. My parents were who they were at home and at church. So like the consistency wow. of they lived their lives, you know, was appealing for me. Whereas I know some people are like, you know, the person that my parents are at church, they aren't at home. And that drives them away from Christ. So it's just a blessing that everything that God has done in my life has been to like draw me toward him mm-hmm. and not, you know, having to yank me to pay attention, but he's given me people that, you know, are appealing and create an interest instead of like, I don't want anything to do with that faith. And that's mm-hmm. something I relate to too. Cause my, my dad was, he was in, he was a youth pastor for a while. So for me, I, I completely relate with that. He was, he was the same on, when he was like, you know, he's up there preaching and stuff and doing his thing. He was, he was the same. So I, I, I love hearing that. It, Cause I yeah. think sometimes we hear the horror stories of ministry and that's, mm. that's one of the lights of being in ministry. So yeah, thanks. Yeah. So, so speaking of ministry, Mike, um, you've been in ministry for the greater part of your working years, correct? Yeah. This, yeah, absolutely. Basically yeah, since so- today, I graduated college in 2004. Wow. Yeah. So that that's incredible and good for you. And I, I love to hear stories of people that are, you know, you know, still in ministry and really, you know, that, that had and really heard that call. But what was it like for you um, getting called into ministry? What did that look like? How did you know in your, you know, discerning spirit that ministry was what God had for you? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a great question. I know everyone's experience is a little different. Some people have this like major, like, like revelation lights on, moment. And that wasn't really the case for me. It was kind of a, just a subtle, um, just kind of a subtle God working in my heart. I I can remember going back to like 1998 when I was like a junior in high school, Uh, my church did a missions trip to Monterey, Mexico, and like sitting in the back of this, like this church that had, it had like a dirt floor, but it was still two stories. And I remember sitting on the, on the stairs listening. Well, I guess I wasn't really listening to my youth pastor preach. I was, you know, not paying attention. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but I was like, I just remember just being over overcome in a sense that like God was speaking to me and saying, you know, this is what you need to do with your life is you need to serve me, you know, in full-time ministry. I actually got up out of that service and like walked outside and kind of walked around the village mm. and just was kind of like struggling with that to say like, well, you know, like I don't speak well, or I'm an introvert or, mm. um, you know, I'm not as at the time when I was in high school, I was like, you know, five, six and weighed about the same that I do now. And I was just like, there's nothing appealing about me to want others to like be a part of what I have going on, but mm. it was something I couldn't shake. So I left that, I left that, um, that missions trip. And I didn't tell anyone that God had spoke to me. And it was like <clears throat> almost a full year later coming back from a St. Louis Cardinals game, <laughs> driving back in three hours to Missouri to, to where I lived in Poplar Bluff. And I told my dad, Hey dad, like, I think God's called me in the ministry. And again, I just said that my dad is an awesome person. He has encouraged me in my faith throughout my entire life, but his answer was no, he's not. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, wow. I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> what was his reasoning for saying that? Why, why do you think he said that? Yeah, I think, I think basically my, my dad had been a deacon at church and he had, he had planned a church. And I think he was concerned um, with my ability to sustain my life and family if I was in ministry. You know, I think being a deacon, you get to see some of the ugly part of churches, you know. So every church has, you know, the dirty spots because they're full of people. Mm. Um, so I think it really related to the tensions that he felt being on leadership with the church. 
And wow. he wanted you know, he wanted me to do communications or journalism, you know, or something related to, you know, being able to make money um, without being dependent on a, a church for funds. Mm. Um, wow. So, I, you know, I took that and I put it away. So I didn't talk to my dad about it for a couple more months. But again, as time went along, as I got through my senior year, I only applied to one college. Wow. Um, you know, and that was I knew where I wanted to go. It was people that had influenced me, had gone to school there. Um, so I was just like, you know, this is the direction that we're heading. In which college was that? Oh, yeah. You get to ask that question. So, <laughs> uh, this is, yeah, if you guys need to bleep this out, you know, it's fine. But I, you know, I went to Pensacola Christian College. So it's certainly hey. a place that, that I wouldn't send everybody. Um, it was certainly a, a good place for me. I connected with a lot of people there. You know, I won some college um, football championships there. You know, we're not talking about Division One, but we are talking flag football. So we want some, the, we had some next really, level. <laughs> next yeah, I mean, so right there, I was just knocking on the door of, you know, right, right there, not far away from Florida State University. So I was right in their own backyard and they missed me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I met some very great friends and got some great training. And again, no one's ever confused me for Andy Stanley, but I think just a combination of my desire, um, you know, like the qualifications, you know, there has been a recognition of gifting and others and just opportunities you know, those are just some things where I, I can't deny that God has me in that direction. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I, I love hearing that you were denied basically by your father yeah. at a young age, this calling. And even when you were that young, you still knew with confidence that nah, like, nah, dad, like, I really think this is God speaking to me. And I can't imagine how tough that would be. Cause I know if my dad told me, mm, no. I would have been like, okay, well, my dad probably knows best. And maybe that says a little bit about me as a kid where I was just like, like goody two shoes, like always did what my parents <laughs> said, whatever. But I just love that. Like that shows faith that you had and confidence in what God was speaking to you. And man, if like, if everyone could have a little bit of that, just like, yes, this is what I heard from God. And, and I'm going to run with that. And I'm going to do that with full effort. And I love that you mentioned that you're not Andy Stanley because you're not, <laughs> but right. on the flip side, Andy Stanley is not Mike Weston and you've had such an amazing reach in your ministry that Andy could not have had. Mm. And Andy has done so much in his ministry that you could not have had. And that's the beauty of the family right. of Christ is that we're all in this together. We're all one team and Andy, Mike, Bjorn, Noah, whoever it is, it's man, we're all in one team and together, man, we can do incredible things mm. alone. None of us can do anything because man, this is God's mission and he's invited us to be a part of it. And that brings us into our next topic that I'd love to get into is that you, Mike, are the chaplain for two different sports teams in Rochester. And that's right now where a lot of your impact has been over the past, however long you've been doing this. And so what's that like? How did you get into that? And what is it like being a chaplain for those sports teams? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a great question. I think one of the things that you know, I like most about being a chaplain is this, again, like in the bio, you, you kind of talked about it, is it combines our love for Christ and our city and really our interest in sports to really combine all those areas together to have influence among professional baseball and hockey players. And I love that it's under the radar. You know, I love that it's not something that's, uh, you know, broadcast. Uh, I love that it's something that's not published on a regular basis but i love that we can just kind of hang out under the radar so, so we really should all... publish this episode telling people that you're the chaplain keep <laughs> <laughs> right. like, this out of the way i know but I, like i love that i walk into uh the blue cross arena where the amherst play 
And, um, you know, there's a couple of people on staff who know me, but if I show up at a game, it's not like a, it's not like a big deal that I'm walking around there. I don't walk around with like a chaplain, you know, like badge that says like, pay attention to me. Um, (laughs) You you don't have like a halo on. And (laughs) I've never signed, I've never signed an autograph for being a chaplain. So I don't have a baseball card. Hey, we could be your first. Yeah. Next (laughs) next time we see you, I need an autograph. (laughs) Some proof. Just send me a baseball. I'll I'll send it back to you. But it really started um, in when I was in seminary in uh, Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, Clark Summit is right in the Scranton area. In that area, there's the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Yankees. There's the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. The office. Uh, yeah, the office is right there. <laughs> in the history of the world. Um, my boss was the chaplain for the Yankees and uh, the Penguins. And so he let me fill in for him a couple times. Um, we'd go down to Wilkes-Barre and I'd meet the guys after practice in the locker room and he um, would let me do some chapels for them. Uh, we were in some Bible studies with a couple of professional players. So in some way it was seeing how Paul Golden, um, led his ministry and how he created a sense of trust, uh, with the players that was like, okay, like this isn't just like this, you know, scary Christian group that's trying to lead a cult like for these players, but it's really a chance to like meet people where they are and have a chance to influence them um, towards greater spirituality. And what did that so look like? like it, what did that look like for you? So we let you take the reins a little bit. What did that look like? What was kind of your responsibility when you were when you were around him? Yeah, so that was good. Like basically, he would allow me to like go in with him, and you know, we we'd go through the locker room. Uh, every team is different, right? So like the Penguins, the coaching staff at the time would let us come into the locker room as long as you didn't walk on the logo. You were a welcome guest. Um, in, in that community. Um, but we didn't stay there. So we would connect with people that we knew were kind of on this list of, Hey, here's 10 guys who generally come, uh, to chapels. Mm. Um, we'd go through and say, Hey, just find your chapels today after practice. Uh, we'd go sit and watch and practice. And then we do like a follow run through to say, we're about to start, you know, he let me do like a five to 10 minute devotional. So Paul would, Paul would follow up with the guys. Um, he, he did dinners for them. His wife would make cookies for him. Um, so he did a lot of things, but it was just an awesome chance to let me as a seminary, uh, guy just kind of get in and kind of cut my teeth when those, those relationships with players are, are really, they're really sensitive because there's so much trust between them and, and players are, have so many people taking from them that being as a champ, a chaplain is a chance to like give to them and, and be mm. for them. So, mm. you know, I, I'll never, I can never say enough about Paul kind of even give me a little trust to let me even speak to those guys and interact with them mm. to even give me the confidence to when I moved to Rochester and met Mark Propelia, who you guys have also had on the show. Mm. Great guy. Um, Mark kind of opened up to me and like introduced me to the hockey world uh, a little bit more. We did some partnerships with him. Um, so those connections, like that's, that's big, you know, you can't waste trust. If you blow a trust with a player, you know, it's nearly impossible to get it back. Would you say that's the biggest foundation for being a chaplain is, is trust? Yeah. 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 That's absolutely the biggest thing is, you know, there's a recognition of, it's not that clubhouse is an open place, but again, people are always trying to take from them. So even like people's friends group, you know, you know, there's so many leeches that are on players to try to get their money or the finances or attention or, you know, to be their Twitter follower or whatever it is to just connect and take and take and take. And you have to be there consistently to build into guys in order for them to begin to open up. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's really difficult. You know, so sometimes for me, building trust is recommending a restaurant, you know, uh, in Rochester, or if someone's traveling to Buffalo, I, you know, I say, Hey, this is a spot you guys need to try out or Syracuse, you know? So sometimes building a a connection of trust is even, 
just saying, Hey, here's a place that I love to eat when you guys are on the road. Um, I often bring coffee in really early at the beginning of the year and say, you know, you guys don't know Rochester, you know, this is my favorite coffee shop. So if you guys are going somewhere, you know, it's really, it's a really safe place. And I'll, I'll talk to the owner of those coffee shops and just let them know like, Hey, like, you know, I told some of the guys from the team to come in. So if they come in, you know, just be like really respectful of them and don't take it down. So, so some of the times it's just being able to create safe spaces for them to know that if they say something, you're not gonna, you're not gonna gripe at them, um, that you can, be trusted with what they tell you and that you're not going to run and share all their information around. Right. So yeah, just little pieces at a time in order to eventually build a bridge strong enough to carry those hard conversations. So with the athletes you work with now, and obviously it's a crazy time right now between Corona and even racial tensions. How do you see Christian athletes, the ones that you've worked with using their platform for positive change? Oh man. Yeah, that's, that's certainly yeah, that's, again, that's a good question. I think we as fans see so little of players' day-to-day lives. I think we assume that if a player's not in the media every single day, that they're not standing up and speaking out, that they're not serious about their faith. And, um, man, I think it's encouraging to hear stories. Like, that's what you guys are doing here in the sweat room. You know, Jason Romano with this little organization called Sports Spectrum, you know, you know far below what you guys are doing here. Uh, you know, those are great avenues. To- <laughs> we appreciate <laughs> those that. Are great- to have people share their faith. But I think really what I encourage the guys to do to really have an influence is the people that they're around all the time, right? Like the people that they're in the clubhouse with, the people that are on the staff of the organizations, the people who are doing the service industries. Those are the people that I'm encouraging guys. So like, you don't have to say everything uh, all the time, but you do need to say something some of the times. Mm -hmm. So I think for those guys, like, it's like you, you know, when I, I worked at Starbucks for about a year, like the chance to build into the same people that were, um, you know, the, the staff that I was working on, they're not believers. And so I didn't walk in and tell everyone like, Hey, like, by the way, you don't love Jesus. Like you're mm-hmm. going to spend eternity separated from God. Right. But as people would say like, wow, like your work ethic is different. And wow. When that person was angry with you, you didn't respond to the same thing. So as pieces and opportunities come up, you know, don't say everything all the time, but just say something some of the times. So I think that's the biggest thing is encouraging, um, players to make the most of those relationships that they're around all the time. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. That, that's so good. And I, I just hear a lot of what you're saying and correct me if I'm wrong is you're just encouraging the players to be themselves, just to be real, be who you are and let Christ shine his light through that. And we all know, like not every Christian athlete is going to be Tim Tebow. They're not going to profess their faith in that manner. Not every right. Christian coach is going to be Tony Dungy and write books and do all these things mm. regarding their faith because we're different. And, you know, we, we've talked about Reed Ferguson, Reed Ferguson. He's not a super outspoken. He doesn't have a lot of shining light in the media, but he's himself. You know, he does what he can do and he doesn't try to be anybody different. They're consistent. They're consistent. And that, and that's, that's what we need is just to, you know, be real, be who you are and let Christ shine through you. And you, you know, Oh, you're a professional athlete. Well, that doesn't mean that you need to be preaching all the time. Like right. God has not called you to be a preacher. So don't preach, just love, just live. And I, I love yeah, that. I that. That's so good. Yeah. Like Tim Tebow, right? Like he's riding the minor league circus right now. And it's, it's almost, you know, there's an unfair expectation because of the public nature of his, his calling, his ministry, 
that if he does one tiny thing that rubs someone the wrong way, people are like, well, Christians are, you know, this, now, you know, I can't believe, you know, I can't believe the guy didn't give me a million dollar tip, you know, or whatever it is, you know, people get really like ticked off that, you know, well, I thought he was a Christian and, and, you know, any small little potential rub goes bad. Whereas, um, like Tim Tebow speaks at faith night regularly for organizations like for the Syracuse Mets, like, uh, last summer he was supposed to speak at faith night. They sell out the stadium and he gets injured. And so he's not there. So they call one of my guys from the Red Wings to like step in for this guy. And this guy speaks to a sell, sold out crowd. And I love how God uses like that guy's wow. faithfulness in small, unique conversations all the time. And he turned it into this platform to like to speak to this, this crowd in a sold out stadium at Syracuse. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really cool for him. It really grew his faith, you know, but at the same time, like, because he does those like tiny little small things all the time and he challenges his teammates. And when people come to the team, like he finds out where their spirituality is. And he's like my main go-to guy, you know, in some sense, not everyone is going to speak to big crowds, but God was like, man, you're faithful in those little things. You know, here's an opportunity to speak to like a bigger crowd. And he hit a home run. He's a pitcher, but this guy hit a home run with that presentation. Love I love <laughs> he did. Yeah. Well, and that, man, I love that. Cause that's like, that's really the heart behind like empowerment is what you have done with that player is you've encouraged him, spoken his life and said like, yes, like God has given you this ability to speak, to do that. And that I'm sure has emboldened him to say like, man, you're right. I can do this. And God has given me this platform and this ability to share my faith and my experience and everything. And I, I can't, you know, I, I know that like in my life, I've been given opportunities to speak and to do these things. And when I'm given them, I'm just like, what, like, who the heck am I little Bjorn Webb to share my thoughts or whatever on this. But if somebody asks me or says like, we do want to hear what you have to say, or we do want to hear about your faith. It's like, ah, okay. Like God has given me a story. And I love that because that's like what you've done with this player is you said like, yeah, like God has given you a story. Are you Tim Tebow? No, but you're so-and-so and that's just as important. And you're uh, still a, a child of God. That that's has a even story. what you said. That's even what you said about him not being Andy Stanley as well. Like not everybody, you know, God has given us different gifts and talents and it's like, not all of us are raised to this level that some of these guys are at. We're just, we're just not, you know, like God uses everybody, everybody's story. And that's what I love, even with that. So that's a great story. So for you, um, you are a chaplain for really two different teams and really cultures. So for, for you, what do you, what's the big difference you see in the culture of baseball and hockey and why? Yeah. It's funny. You think because they're all professional athletes that they would all be the same. Um, and sometimes it's, it's really hard to pinpoint, but I think it comes down to, you know, you're, you're right that the, the cultures are different. Like, I think hockey is a, is a fast paced game. And it seems like the people who are drawn to that, you know, live their life in a, in a fast paced way. That doesn't mean they're, they're reckless or, you know, they're terrible people or they go out and just party all the time. But, you know, there's a certain appeal for, for that, you know, almost for, for that kind of drive. And so, and I think a lot of it's regional, like, you know, hockey plays a lot in the Northeast, you know, play a lot of Canada, a lot of places where, if you were to look at, you know, Barna's, you know, least evangelical communities, you know, those would be places that typically show up. So I think even where they come from, like, it's not a, a culture, there's not a cultural Christianity associated with hockey like there is in some ways in baseball. Like even with the chaplaincy between hockey ministry internationals and baseball chapel, 
Um, you know, baseball chapels recognized in every professional like baseball stadium across the country and people can come in and like work through that process. So there's like an acceptance. There's like generally this conservative, um, conservative, like surrounding conservative culture around baseball. It's slow. People have the chance to interact and dialogue and players are at the, you know, players are at the office for sometimes 12, 14 hours a day. Um, and hockey players are kind of like in, they practice or they play a game and they're out and they're back home. So it's like baseball is kind of slow, methodical, like conservative and hockey is kind of like this progressive, fast, um, really moving atmosphere. Does that um, change how you try to minister to these athletes? Yeah. So, you know, with, with hockey, it's whenever I can get them right. So like we do Bible studies, we try to do once every week, once every two weeks, and they're not at the stadium as much, but that means they're also doing, you know, other things with their families are away. So it's kind of like you have a, a smaller, a limited amount of time to connect with them. Whereas baseball players, you know, they play 140 games, you know, in the minor leagues this summer. So they're at the stadium for, you know, 12 hours times 140. The second you know, Yeah. So they're, you know, they're living at the stadium. So if I walk in there on a Tuesday, you know, guys are ready to do a Bible study and they'll take 30 minutes out of their schedule to like walk through a Bible study. And I show up on Sunday, they expect to have like a church service. Yeah. I'm here quoting church. Service, you know, um, you know, they expect to have a church service on Sunday, whereas hockey, it's like, you know, they don't want a church service. They want, you know, five to 10 minutes in and out and like gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. And it doesn't mean they take the faith any less serious. It's just, again, like their personality and, and maximizing the limited opportunities that we have to connect. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that that's so good. So it, uh, just very generally, how, how do you see, and we talked, you know, these are obviously two sports that are very different, but in general, how do you see sports, and faith going together. How do you see them maybe complementing or contrasting or how do you see what's that dynamic there between sports and faith? Yeah, I don't think there's any contrasting. I think sports and faith are inseparable. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think there's yeah, I don't think there's any more opportunity for us to be faithful witnesses uh, or faithful disciples than there there is in sports. Mm. Um, and I'm going to start that with like I think we can put too much pressure on celebrities to save us. Um, but again, just the opportunities that we have to influence those who are closest to us, our family, friends, and neighbors, you know, like my closest friends now were the students that I coached as players in high school. Um, you know, one of my guys, Connor works at the NFLPA, and he's someone that every time they're in Rochester, we get together. If we go down to DC, we get together. If he's in Buffalo, I'll drive over and see him. Cool. Um, you know, I have players that are in the Marines and we talk, you know, once a month. So some of the people that I'm closest with, are players that I connected with, you know, while they were, they were athletes. So like for me, why they're inseparable, I think that it displays character, right? Like when you're in sports, it gives you like this controlled atmosphere for discipleship, you know, cause who you are in sports come out of you, your work ethic, your attitude, your emotion, it's there every practice, it's there every play and very few relationships other than a coach athlete allow for the feedback that's provided in, in that atmosphere. Wow. Um, so I think if someone's angry, man, it's easy to pull that person aside and say like, whoa, like you don't have to start quoting Bible verses. Like here are the fruits of the spirit, peace, love, joy. You know, you don't have to be like, <laughs> Can you imagine if a coach started doing that to a player. Especially <laughs> <that person>. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but with that, I, again, it's just the same thing for a parent and a coach. You know, I can pull my son aside after a game or practice and speak to what he displayed on the field. Is he prideful? Um, is he hustling? Is he encouraging his teammate? No matter what happens, I can speak to 
how I see Christ coming out of him or how I see him in a sense, denying Christ who's in him. Mm. You know, it's a lot harder to have those conversations with my daughter, who is an incredible artist herself, but it's like, wow, you do that line with such passion. Mm. Um, you know, it's a lot harder to have that discussion. Whereas in my son, I see who he is on the field and I can speak to that. So there's an awesome opportunity to, to move him to the next steps. Mm. Um, so displaying character, I think sharing faith, you know, the influence that comes through trusted relationships can't be underestimated. Like, again, professional athletes have platforms, you know, like my son who's eight and loves baseball. When he gets, when he gets around guys who are professional baseball players, but worship God, you know, it creates that interest in him that, wow, I can pursue my passions and my faith at the same time. Mm. Uh, you know, that can't be, that can't be underestimated. My son hasn't crossed the line of faith yet, but baseball and Jesus are combined in his mind that he's seen athletes that have come to our house that he's seen in the locker room that love Jesus. And he knows that like, they're not inseparable. You can have Jesus and success at the same time. And so when guys sign, you know, verses on baseballs, you know, my son goes home and looks up those verses in the Bible. Um, so it's a chance to share faith with people. And again, it connects community, right? Whether it's Bill's mafia, Red Sox nation, sports connect us to each other, right? In the city or on social media, if you are wearing a jersey or a shirt, you know, like a, if you're a Broncos fan, I don't know who would ever want to be a Broncos fan. <laughs> there, there's a couple out there. <laughs> Even if Bill's mafia yeah. kills me. <laughs> well, literally, the other day I sat on my side of my office on a Friday with a sign that said, you know, if you need prayer with a question mark. And, and I didn't have anyone that was like, I need prayer. But I was wearing an EJ Manuel jersey because that was the last jersey I bought from the Bills and I'm afraid to buy another one. <laughs> I don't want to curse any please. But like people were like, oh, you're a Bills fan. And they stopped to talk about football. Mm. And so using that conversation about football to talk to them about faith and then, you know, even talk about like our business and what we do in our community, you know, like it connects who people are. So I think those are just three ways, you know, character, sharing faith, connecting community. Um, Those are just ways that I've used it. I'm sure there's a hundred more if we were to go through it. Yeah. Mike, that is, that is so good. And I, man, I, I challenge our listeners, if you're listening right now, to rewind five minutes and listen to that again. Because that that combination of sports and faith, I think, is so powerful. Especially what I loved was you talking about how sports really reveal our character. Mm. And, and a, as a coach myself, I love practice because practice is a time where I can kind of shape and mold my players into what the product on game day is going to be. Mm. And I can, you know, okay, hey, do this a little differently, do this and develop these good habits here in practice so that on game day, you can perform those that way. And there's such an opportunity because like you said, like sports reveal our character. So when we play, man, emotions are flooding through and all this stuff. And we're sort of, we we take down this, like this guard that we have up in our everyday life. And we're just real. We're playing sports. We're doing our thing. We're letting adrenaline take over and boom, that is who Mike Weston is, or that is who Bjorn Webb is on the soccer field. And our coaches get this awesome opportunity or parents, like you just said, to say, all right, this is great. Let's, you know, course correction. Let's go this way. Let, you know, this attitude, this, this anger, this emotion, whatever, let's channel that this direction instead of that direction. Mm-hmm. And, and I, like, I coach a, a middle school soccer team, and I was talking with my athletic director the other day about it at the high school, and he was like, Bjorn, you're kind of like, you know, you, you've got a bunch of dogs on leashes, 
and <laughs> you are walking them and you just need little course corrections. Like they're going to run, they're going to go, they're going to do their thing. And you just need to say, nope, this way, nope, this way. And just little course corrections where then they can walk in that path that we as mentors, as leaders know is right for them. And that is, that is so good because man, you're so right that sometimes outside of sports, maybe there aren't those opportunities, not saying that they're not there in other things. They definitely are, but man, sports really give us that opportunity. And that's, I love that. That that's, that's so good, Mike, for sure. Yeah. Thank I mean, thanks. I, I know one book, uh, especially that was helpful for me is the book, um, in the arena by David Prince. Mm. And I just think he, especially if you're a parent and have kids in sports, um, whether that's little league, whether that's, you know, middle school, whether that's, you know, high school and you want them to go to college and play like this book, I think just really allows us to take sports and see like that it's a discipleship tool. Mm. And it's not just, uh, you know, it's not just a waste of time, but it yeah. really could be the best investment that you ever make for your Absolutely. kids. And, and what an opportunity sports are to let our young people in youth sports or athletes in, you know, in their twenties or thirties, while we're really actively playing, what an opportunity it is to let them fail. Right. Let them fail right. and say, it's okay to mess up. It's okay to miss a shot, but you got to keep shooting. You know, it's the old Wayne Gretzky. Right. Like, you know, you miss hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. It's like, if we live through life saying, I'm not going to shoot cause I'm not going to score, then you're not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. But in sports, it's right. like, Hey, keep shooting. You know, in basketball, you've got the green light as a shooter. Even if you miss five, you're a good shooter. We want you to keep shooting. Steph Curry, like Steve Kerr is never going to tell him to stop shooting, even if he misses seven, eight times. And man, that's like in our faith, you're going to screw up. You're going to fall into temptation. You're going to, you know, you're going to lie. You're going to cheat. You're going to steal. You're going to sin in ways. And man, I've been convicted so many times where it's like, shoot, like, man, yesterday sucked or man, I look back at that year in my life when I was in high school and man, I was a terrible person, but it's like, Hey, it's okay. God forgives. And we've got these second chances and sports have taught me that I can be real and I can fail because there's a God that's bigger than all of this. And he forgives me and gives me that second chance. And what an opportunity for a coach, what an opportunity for a chaplain to say, that's all right. Your mistakes, your failures, that's not who you are. That's just what you've done. And I I love, I had a coach preach to me, not really preach to me, but like say to me in practice growing up, he says, Bjorn, I want the right ideas. I want you to do the right things, have the right mentality, try to do things the right way. Execution will come later. If you try, you know, if you try to do the right play in, in soccer and you fail, but that's, that's okay. Because we can work on getting that pass down pat. We can work on, you know, getting your shot lower and not skying it over the crossbar. Right. But I want you to shoot. I want you to make that pass and you can, you know, it can come in the future. Mm-hmm. And that, man, that's what a lesson that is for life in general as well. So that, man, that's so good. Yeah. So, man, I'm currently a free agent in, in church league basketball. So if you're going to give me the green light, if you're coaching, I, you know, I, I'd like to come to your team. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Steph Curry has the green light because he's proved that he can have the green light. So, so come play some, come play some basketball here at our church and we'll, we'll see if I'll give you the green light. <laughs> I'll even accept the flashy yellow light, you know, that's yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> maybe that's what we're, maybe we'll start with like a blinking red where it's like, <laughs> Stop and think about it. And if you're open, then you can shoot. <laughs> I love that. Do it. So Mike, personally, what's God been teaching you? We've talked a lot about, you know, athletes and coaches, but 
let's talk about you. What, what's God teaching you right now as you, cause you're on this personal walk with Christ as well. And you know, how's that going? What are you continuing to learn and how are you continuing to sort of, you know, shape that recently? Yeah, I think, um, I feel like God is challenging me. Like he's challenging so many others right now. It, mm. it seems um, that as Americans, we're caught up in this allure of speed, size, and power. You know, those are all things that make for a physically imposing athlete, but are enemies of our soul. Wow. Um, Can you say that one more time? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, like I basically that we're caught up with this allure of speed, size, and power. And again, those are all the things that we're looking for in a physically imposing athlete, but they're actually enemies of our soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even in ministry, I was working at a church that was constantly pushing bigger and faster. And we did it out of a good motivation, you know, the love for the Great Commission to see lost people, you know, introduced to Jesus. Um, but I think sometimes we were doing it at such a speed that we were doing more harm to our people than good. Mm-hmm. And God literally ripped me out of that culture. Wow. It was really hard. And it continues to be really hard on me and my family. Mm. Um, but I think it was the only way that God could keep me from becoming emotionally and destructive to myself or my family or, you, you know, our friends. And so, um, you know, that happened a little more than a year ago that we made that change like in our family. And then um, those, those themes, speed, size, power continue to be brought up to me in books I read and conversations I had and even like, with the interruption that is COVID-19, you know, I think it's almost like this divine, um, I, I, I don't want to say COVID is good, but it's like this divine disruption into, you know, what was in order for us to come out to like what, what should be. Absolutely. Um, so I think like Frank Beeler, one of my ministry friends, he works at um, the Orange which is orange curriculum. Um, he encouraged me uh, again about a year and a half ago to read some Henry Nguyen. Mm. Um, and, and Henry Nguyen just, he oozes, you know, healing and the spirit filled life. You know, I've been reading a lot of John Mark Comer, Sean Benesh, Mark shares, Sayers, John Tyson. These are guys that just talk a lot about, you know, that hustle is crushing us or, mm. you know, big isn't necessarily the best or that even, um, power is dangerous for our souls. So those ideas, you know, I can spend hours talking about Mm. how those things are really doing damage to us. But I think those are three areas that continue to just come up over and over and over again. Like Mm. just the area of speed, like John Mark Comer's, you know, book, the ruthless elimination hurry. Just, I love how he talks about that. We're working so fast that we're not paying attention to things that are most important and that we need to create, uh, rhythms of work and rest to pursue what God has called us to while still being able to look more like Jesus every day in every way. Wow. Uh, that's, that's been a big challenge to me. And again, I talked about Kevin earlier. I know he's a big John Mark fan. You know, I know the book garden city is one that he shares with the sabers and I know he's done with organizations. I love that book, but the one ruthless elimination hurry is one that has specifically challenged me that, you know, I don't need to work 70 and 80 hours every week. Um, that's probably doing more harm to my, faith, my organization, and my family, you know, they're working 50 hours and going home and trusting God to take care of what I can't do. Mm. Wow. That, this has been so good, Mike. And, and for our listeners, like I, I, I'm just writing pages down. And so I encourage you, like, like <laughs> he's not lying. He's got pages I, I, like pages. Yeah. Like, and, and it's been so good. Even what you were saying earlier, Bjorn, I think 
it's what you're saying, Mike, is just so true. And I, I think for you, like two words that really stick out to me is when you were talking about, you know, just how sports and faith are inseparable. I think what a word. And that is one of the most powerful words that I've heard in a while with sports and faith. Mm. And what a great word for that. Mm. And for you, I, something that sticks out to me as well is you talked about how you're an introverted guy and God has still called you on this path. And man, he's just blessed you in so many ways. So before we finish up and ask the final question, I, I would just love for our introverted listeners listening right now, what, how would you encourage them you know, if they feel like they're being called to ministry, they feel like it, but they feel like, oh, my, I'm not as extroverted as this person. What would you say to that introverted listener listening right now? Yeah, uh, you know, we, we, there's few people I love as much as Andy Stanley. You know, again, there's other great ministry leaders, but like what God has called them to isn't what he's calling you to. Uh, that's whether you're introvert or extroverted. I, I think that's the important part is that your ministry doesn't have to look like someone else's. And I think there's so many opportunities to even just, you know, like Paul in second Corinthians talks about being content with like the space that God has called them to and not like boasting about what's outside of that space. And I think we're sometimes so concerned with what we don't have that we miss living into what we do have. So I think for introverted listeners, you know, what space has God called you to like, what a good question. You know, like again, since COVID and working here at this neighborhood clinic that, that we see, neighborhoods are more powerful than cities, right? Like when you think about it, the, the, the connection of the 4,000 people who live within a half a mile radius of our clinic, it, it's more powerful than saying like, I'm from Rochester. Like, and if someone had a church of like 100 people or 150 people, like that church is going to do more on the ground for the good of the community than like potentially a church that's located in another suburb and people are kind of in and out of there. Wow. So I think, you know, your ministry doesn't have to look like someone else's to be successful, but like what has God called you to? And whether that's, um, man, you're, you're working with racial reconciliation and you're behind the scenes, you know, making changes in advocacy or speaking out or providing platforms for others. Um, I think God has called each of us to a specific sphere and when we live within that sphere and don't worry about like what we don't have, we're able to um, step into what God has called us to, regardless of our specific, you know, personality types. Yeah. Come on. Wow. That, that's so good. And man, what, what a reminder that is to, to me as, as I know personally, like I, so I work at Watermark Wesleyan church. It's a, it's a large church in a suburb of Buffalo in the South towns. And I struggled personally a lot when I took a job here because this is a large church and I grew up in a smaller church. I grew up in a small town. It was a community church that everyone was there. We knew everyone at the church. And I was like, man, like, what's this large church going to be like? Like, will I know anybody? That kind of thing. And, and exactly what you said, that's a way, that's something I think I've thought for years or for the two years I've been here, but I haven't been able to put words to it. And you put words to it there of like, man, there is a place in the global church, the capital C church for these large, maybe dare we say mega church and these small right. little churches. Mm. And one is not better than the other. Absolutely. One may be right for an individual and one may be right for a different individual. Mm. And right. the role they play in the capital C church may be different. Maybe a large church can do things a small church can't, but Hey, those small churches, they can do tons of things that a large church can't. And absolutely. 
like we said before, like, you know, we're part of a team and we're all in this together. Right. And if we can really hone in on that and grab what you said and apply that to our lives, man, there will be less divide in our church. There'll be less divide between denominations. There'll be less of these just, you know, dare we say pointless arguments and conflicting things where it's like, Hey, let's love Christ and let's love others. Let, let's, let's yeah. start there. And, and almost let's end there. Right. And that's, that's what we need. And man, Mike, that that's so good. And man, what an encouragement that is to me is <laughs> you put words to something that I have been feeling in my spirit for so long. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, our last thing here, and, and the last thing that I'll share here is I, sorry, no, I, I get, I get long winded and, but um, last thing I'll share is, is I, I love how you've mentioned many different books here by many different authors that you have read that have impacted you. And you mentioned, you know, how Kevin has this book that he's been sharing with others. And literally yesterday I was talking with my boss, Steve Dunmeyer, who just started at our church here recently. And he oh. mentioned to me about how if pastors or if ministry leaders stop reading, and stop studying and stop exploring, you know, these thoughts by other people. He said, you know, your congregation, the people you're ministering to, they probably won't notice for a year. But that second year, man, they'll they'll start to notice. And maybe they won't be able to put their finger on it and say like, oh, my pastor stopped reading. But we need to read. We need to study. We need to continue to learn and to pour into our own selves because we don't know everything. And that's our motto here is, you know, get it, got to give it. And we talk about how we never graduate from this get it phase of learning. And I love that you've talked about in this past year and a half, all these books you've been reading, um, the book by Henry, uh, what, what was his last name? Henry Nowen. Henry Now, yeah. And just how you've learned and you've grown and you've taken those ideas and, and those have shaped your life. And so my encouragement to our listeners, whether you're in ministry in a vocational sense or whether in ministry in a personal sense, keep reading. Whether that's yeah. the Bible, whether that's God's word, or whether that's these books we have mentioned, or, or whether that's you know books that maybe you know about that we don't, is keep reading, keep exploring. And, and don't read these books and say, all right, Andy Stanley has it all figured out. I'm going to read this book that he has, or I'm going to read this book by Craig Rochelle, and he has it all figured out. Read these books from a critical lens and challenge yourself to say, okay, is that what I believe? Is that, what I, is that how I interpret scripture? Is that what I believe God's calling me to? Uh, and that will that will shape your ministry and that will continue to bless your ministry. So yeah, thanks so much um, for sharing that. And Mike, our last question for you is just anything that you have on your spirit right now that you would feel is good for our listeners or for Noah or myself to hear as encouragement or final remarks or thoughts for anybody? Yeah, so, so along with, you know, speed, power, size, you know, I think kind of the the cultural moment we're living in right now is anger, right? Whether it's political, whether it's uh, sports, you know, whether it's racial tensions, justice, anything along those lines, it's anger. Mm. And, you know, you guys are a sports, a sports podcast. So I just, you know, working with players, you know, I just want to remind people, <laughs> I just want to remind people that the, the, the players who are on the field uh, are human beings. Mm. They have families, they have spouses, they have kids, they have brothers and sisters and parents. Um, and they, they can hear what you say, right? If I have a bad day at the office, you know, no one cares, no one cares, you know, but if I am a pitcher and I give up a home run, you know, because my best friend died, 
Mm. And you know, I can't focus on a game. Wow. Right? They have 140 games a year. You're not going to succeed every single time and we get ticked off and yell and scream and holler. We miss a field goal. Uh, why did we cut that guy? Like poor Tyler Bass, anything that he does wrong, it's like, ah, oh, we had Stephen Hauschka, right? Like we literally <laughs> anything guys do, we celebrate them when they succeed, but then we like throw them under the bus when they fail and like they're real people. And so, man, I understand loyalty. I understand the drive to win, but the players who are on the field have souls, you know, they have emotions, you know, they have minds. Wow. And life is right. Life is rough, you know, and it's not easier on them because they make a few more dollars than you and I, mm. um, fact, the pressure is probably greater. So just remember that athletes are people too. And, um, before we just get angry at them on Twitter or in the stands or yelling at our TVs, just pause and think about what we're saying before, you know, we scream out, you suck. <laughs> Somebody that you're that you know really well, and one of our previous guests was Mark Porpilia, and he even alluded. He's like, pray for these guys. Even Kevin Beard right. said that. Pray, pray for some of these guys. Like they are human beings, you know, and, and right. they have a heart and soul. That is so good. So, Mike, thank you so much for being on the Sweat Room today. I literally took pages, and I, I hope some of our listeners, you really go back and maybe take just just a little bit of what Mike has said today. So, thank you for joining the Sweat Room today. Yeah. Again, guys, it's an honor to be with you. If someone gets something out of this, you know, I'm honored again, you've had some great guests and as someone who talked about building trust with athletes, just listening to the way you guys have, have interviewed and inter interacted with people, you're definitely building that trust for athletes. So thanks for doing a good job with them. Thank so, you. Thank you. Mike. Keep up the great work. Wow. Yeah. Such a good conversation with Mike. Thanks so much for joining us. And Noah, what were some of your thoughts and reflections and feedback on that conversation today? Wow. So many. First off, I just encourage all of you, just even with previous podcasts and guests that we've had, I know something that I say in the beginning of our show is take notes because this was a perfect example of why to take notes. Mike had so many things to say today. Mm -hmm. And so for me, one of I, the biggest one that stuck out to me was towards the end there's so many i think number one was how sports and faith are inseparable mm. what a powerful illustration but when he said being caught up with the speed and the power and the size of life that's that's enemies for our soul mm. and what a what a powerful illustration especially for now in the season of covid of racial tensions we're in a time where god has said no it's time to pause and reflect wow. and a question that i have for all of our listeners too that he said and i'm going to say it again is what space has god called you to where is God calling you? Maybe maybe you're you're the introverted one that he was talking about. Where is God calling you? Even the extroverts. You and I are extroverted. Yeah. I live in the extroverted world. But God has called me into the ministry world and whatever we do is ministry. Uh, you know, some of us are called into vocational church ministry. Some of us are called different other areas. But what space has God called you to? I don't know. Yeah. That's that's my reflection. No, I, I love that. No, that's so good. And and a good a good friend of mine. And we we may have on on here in the future, Sam Hendricks. Shout out Sam. Shout out Sam and from he, our small group. Yeah, he has said for the past probably year and a half as I've gotten really close to him in our in our small group and mm -hmm. through other things. He's always said, you know, God is really challenging me to be present with where I'm at now. Wow. And, you know, as as all of us, like this has been a challenging period for him in different areas, whatever. And he said, yeah, but, but I'm here right now. And God's called me here 
at this point for a purpose. Right. And so I'm going to be here. I'm going to be present. And I'm going to do what God has called me to now. And that's so hard because, like you said, with power, speed, all of these things that our culture wants from us. Right. It's always encouraging us to look to the future. The American culture, especially. The American culture. It's, okay, what's next? Mm. What's next? What's bigger? What's, what's bigger, better? better? Right. But it's, mm. hey, let's just stay here now. Right. Let's do what we can do now because there's so many blessings that you can have in your life that you may miss. And I was talking with another guy from our Bible study, shout out Josh Babcock, and he was saying to shout me, out Josh. he was like, Bjorn, I was thinking the other day, and man, this hit me hard. This was before Bible study even started. And he was like, <laughs> if I live to say 80 years old, he said, let's just say, if I live to 80 years old, he said, one year of my life is more than 1% of my life. He's like, it's, you know, roughly 1.2. I may get the math wrong, but roughly 1.2% <laughs> of my life is a year. And he's like, I think of a year of my life now, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like in a year I'll be doing this or that. And he's like, man, but that's like 1.2% of my life. And he's like, I don't want to waste that. Right. Like, this is the period of life I'm in now. Right. And I was just like, oh, shoot, Josh, like you're hitting me hard with this. Like, what am I doing? So that was just like a little bit of what I took away is like, yeah, let's be present in ministry mm-hmm. where we're at now. And, and one thing I want to add to that, too, I think so, one of my favorite authors, Bob Goff, one of the things that he says is be where your feet are. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something that, that you said with Sam, what Sam has said as well. He'll say all the time we should we'll show up like with dinner with our family or something like that. And so many times we're on our phone and we're in a different world world but we're not where our feet are with mm. where what, what, what matters most and what a time it is right now then to be where our feet are wow. so wow that's so powerful yeah yeah that's that's such a good word noah bob goff sam Hendricks, one in the same message <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but, yeah thank you guys so much for tuning in today uh, we hope you enjoyed this conversation and we look forward to having you guys tune in for more Next week, we're starting our high school series featuring high school athletes and coaches just trying to figure out what is it like being an athlete or a coach during COVID. Here's an excerpt. What I think for me, the most important thing that I've learned is God is is his ability to enable me to put those things into my life. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, we call them the fruit of the spirit out of Galatians. Me on my own doing those things, having to deal with disappointment with players, having to deal with parents that weren't satisfied with playing time, those type of things, dealing with those things on my own, I wouldn't have the ability to do that. Thanks for listening to the Sweat Room Sports and Faith Podcast. We hope you enjoyed. And if you want to connect with us and see what God is doing through other of our ministries and never miss an episode, you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Watermark Sports and on Twitter at Sweat Room Pod. Just remember, until next time, get it, got it, and give it. Thanks for listening to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan Church. 